It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 408 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Royally Screwed. It is April 28, 2023, and this is Jen. I've got a bunch of stuff in here to talk about, including regulators and their opinions and various things, and I'll just get started. So there's a corporate news post from Activision Blizzard, and it's titled, Our Commitment to Pay Equity, a letter from Julie Hodges, Activision Blizzard's Chief People Officer. She sent it to uh, by email to the staff on Tuesday. Um, let's see what day that is on here. April 25th, so that's, there you go. So I'm just going to read you some of this. We know that the best way we can stay accountable to our D, E, and I communities is with transparency, which is why we are sharing Activision Blizzard's second annual global pay equity and second pay gap analysis. There's an asterisk after that word. I wonder if we'll find out why conducted by a third-party firm. We are proud to share that for the second consecutive year, we have maintained pay equity globally at ABK. After accounting for factors that impact pay such as role, location, tenure, and job classification, our analysis showed that employees who are women, comma, non-binary people, comma, or who self-identify as something else earned on average $1 for every $1 earned by men for comparable work. This third-party analysis validates our ongoing efforts to ensure that employees are paid equitably. Pay equity is one of the most critical measures for us in maintaining our commitments around inclusion and transparency. They go on from there, um, but I'm going to stop here for a minute, and it's kind of unclear to me exactly how this went down um because in the previous one when they said oh we're gonna do a whole pay equity thing and we're gonna you know ask people like how they identify and see what they're getting paid and all that and then you know they mentioned non-binary people in there which i am one of i don't work there uh but still and when the whole finished product of checking that out came out non-binary people were erased completely so at least we're mentioned in here but I don't know. And um, I think that if you are going to classify people based on the gender they tell you they are, which is what you should do, maybe don't make it sound as though women and non-binary people are also women. You know what I mean? It just it's just doesn't sit right for people like me for the most part. Now, yeah, there are people that will use she, they, or he, they, but... You know, it's kind of hard to tell. And this, who I, who self-identify as something else, I'm not really sure what that is. That, a lot, you know, a second-party company would understand how to qualify or how to quantify. So it's they're trying, they're trying, they're just not there yet. Okay, to continue. 
We also conducted a global median pay gap analysis for 2022. A median pay gap analysis reflects the differences between the median earnings of all employees who do not identify as men compared to all employees who identify as men across the entire company, regardless of their job. It does not compare the pay of employees performing comparable work like the pay equity review above. Globally in 2022, the median total compensation for men was 16.4% higher than the median total compensation for those who identify as who are women, non-binary people, or who self-identify as something else. I'm kind of wondering, maybe this is just me, who self-identify as something else. Does this mean they're just not using the word transgender? I'll continue though. This gap has narrowed from the 22.8% reported for 2021. This demonstrates meaningful progress in narrowing the gap and reflects factors such as the company's conversion of contingent workers to full-time workers, as well as our continued strides in inclusive recruiting, hiring, and promotion practices. The whole company saw an increase in the combined representation of women or non-binary employees last year. We're never going to get separated from that, are we? Some of us aren't women, you know? Um, anyway, so here's some little bullet points from this part. When we specifically look at women in the game development leadership roles, the number has more than quadrupled since 2016. We saw the most progress between 2021 and 2022 when the percentage of women in game development leadership roles increased by 58%. As of December 31, 2022, women or non-binary people, at least it's not an and this time, employees combined made up 26% of the company's staff, up from 24% as of November 30, 2021. 33% of all recruited individuals identified as women or non-binary, which is higher than our historical averages. ABK offers sev several programs that help ensure women or non-binary employees have learning opportunities and paths to mobility, such as, and there's a list of things that they can do. One of them is a women's summit. If, you know, like, like I said, there are non-binary people that identify as she, they, uh, or he, they, and um, so that's that's kind of a thing. But when you call it a women's summit and you're inc including non-binary people, some of whom might identify also as a woman, but might identify as a man, but also non-binary or they're like me and I don't identify either way. I'm just non-binary. They need to work on this. It's going to make people feel really icky working there if they can't get this kind of stuff right. It's not hard. Ask them what they want to be called and how they want to be identified. Go with that. They're trying, but I don't think they're going to get there anytime soon. And that's kind of annoying as, you know, they actually tried this before and just erased us. So yeah. And I'm saying us as though I work there. I don't work there. I just, you know, talk to y'all about it. So, and there's an editor's note added on April 25th, 2023, and it says respect and support is important to us. So we adjusted the language used to describe employees to those who are women, non-binary people, or who self-identify as something else. Wowhead also has some information um, posted two days ago from, how do I say this name? Archimetros? And it's titled Activision Blizzard First Quarter 2023 Financial Results, Strong Performance from Blizzard and Mobile Games. So this is not the same as the other one. So here's part of the Wowhead article. 
Activision Blizzard has released first quarter financial results for the year of 2023, announcing strong earnings, 62% increased segment revenue for Blizzard Entertainment, and a double-digit growth in total mobile revenue led by Candy Crush, Call of Duty, Mobile, and Diablo Immortal. The report has been released a day early, presumably in response to the CMA's decision to block the merger between Activision Blizzard and Microsoft, we'll get to that soon, in an effort to show shareholders that company performance remains very strong in 2023. Activision Blizzard said, this is apparently a quote, on April 26, 2023, the United Kingdom Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, announced a decision to block the merger, stating that competition concerns arose in relation to cloud gaming and that Microsoft's remedies addressing any concerns in cloud gaming were not sufficient. Activision Blizzard considers that the CMA's decision is disproportionate, irrational, and inconsistent with the evidence. Microsoft has announced its decision to appeal the CMA's ruling, and Activision Blizzard intends to fully support Microsoft's efforts on this appeal. Activision Blizzard continues to believe that the deal is pro-competitive, will bring Activision Blizzard content to more gamers, and will result in substantial benefits to consumers and developers in the UK and globally. The parties continue to fully engage with other regulators, reviewing the transaction to obtain any required regulatory approvals. As usual, Bobby Kotek, CEO of Activision Blizzard, had a statement. Uh, it was written about in here from the person putting these pieces of uh these quotes together. As usual, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick also made a statement citing exceptional performance, strong pre-sales for Diablo 4, and renewed confidence in the deal with Microsoft despite regulator concerns. CEO Bobby Kotick said, quote, in our 33rd year, Activision Blizzard is performing exceptionally well. Every one of our key intellectual properties continues to grow year over year, with Call of Duty once again a key driver of growth. Mobile net bookings grew double digits, including another record quarter for King. Pre-sales for Diablo 4 are strong, and none of this would be possible without our people, who deliver excellence for our players every single day. We remain confident that our deal with Microsoft benefits competition, consumers, and job creation in markets around the world, especially in the UK. The CMA's report today does not reflect these realities, and we will work aggressively with Microsoft to reverse it on appeal. Everything I talk about today will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com, so if you missed something or just want to, you know... If you missed it because you're playing a video game right now or something like that, doing dishes, whatever, you'll find it there and you can catch up. Here's a weird one. This is from Engadget, and I think other places reported about it as well. It is titled, China Court Documents Incorrectly Showed Activision Was Being Sued by Former Partner NetEase. The lawsuit is actually being brought by one individual, a serial litigant with no history with NetEase. This is a weird one. So this is written by Lawrence Bonk, and it was on April 25th. On April 24th, 2023, reports circulated that Blizzard Entertainment was being sued by former Chinese publishing partner NetEase after servers shut down in January, when the two failed to reach a continuation agreement. However, a day later, it turns out that NetEase was, in fact, 
not suing the company. Instead, as reported by PC Gamer, the suit is being brought by a single individual who is known to be a serial litigant with no history with NetEase. It appears the court documents listed NetEase erroneously. The company does not have anything to do with the lawsuit. Originally, MMO-focused gaming website Wowhead noticed the suit. Since the story was originally published, those court documents have been republished to reflect that the suits are coming from a Yang Jun. All mentions of NetEase have been removed. Quote, we haven't received the lawsuit yet, but we are confident that we aren't in breach of any licensing agreements. The terms NetEase appear to be complaining about reflect, uh, reflect standard industry practice and have been mutually beneficial for years, an Activision, uh, Activision rep wrote in a statement to Engadget prior to the discovery that NetEase was not involved in the lawsuit. Quote, while this persistent campaign by one former partner is disappointing and puzzling, it is important to note that we have enjoyed nearly two decades of positive experiences operating in China and remain committed to serving players and protecting their needs. Now, obviously, the spokesperson or the spokesperson, a representative from Activision, that's the information they had at the time. So that's what they gave. And I'm cool with that. What I think is really, really weird is we rarely get the name of the spokesperson, which so many other companies do give the name if they're, you know, leaving a quote for a website that's like, you know, responsible, that kind of stuff, you know? So that part's weird. The part about assuming that NetEase was in fact, in fact involved, that's not weird. That was just confusion on probably a lot of people's part in this. Blizzard and NetEase were successful partners for the past 14 years before negotiations broke down to renew the long-term licensing agreement. This led to a complete cessation of all Blizzard games and services in the region, including popular properties like World of Warcraft, Overwatch 2, StarCraft, and Diablo 3, among others. Millions of Chinese players lost access to their accounts and related data. Some started fresh with new accounts in other regions, but most, 112 million people opted for a refund. The agreement did not end amicably, with reports of NetEase staffers tearing down the Blizzard offices and live-streaming the destruction of a World of Warcraft statue. That was from a while ago. Uh, there's a couple of updates in here, um, but they're not... I think they've been added into the story, so we don't really need those to go over again. Then we have Bloomberg, which often is behind a paywall, but this one isn't. And this one was posted on April 26th, and it's titled UK Blocks Microsoft's $69 billion Activision Deal. CMA says gaming deal would harm competition on the cloud. Microsoft says it plans to appeal Wednesday's decision. There's a little video here with Bobby Kotek in it, which I'll get to later because someone transcribed a conversation. So I'll get there when I get there. Microsoft Core's $69 billion takeover of Activision Blizzard Inc. was vetoed by Britain's antitrust watchdog in a potentially fatal blow for the gaming industry's biggest ever deal. The Competition and Markets Authority said its concerns couldn't be solved by remedies such as the sale of blockbuster title Call of Duty or other solutions involving promises to permit rivals to offer the game on their platforms, according to a statement Wednesday. Microsoft said it will appeal the decision. Pressure had been mounting on Microsoft as it lobbies at home and in Europe to convince watchdogs to clear the deal, one of the 30 biggest acquisitions of all time. Crucially, the CMA's conclusions comes before decisions from the European Union and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, which is waiting on a hearing in the summer after formally suing to veto the transaction. 
Uh, there's some numbers in here. Quote, Microsoft already enjoys a powerful position and head start over other competitors in cloud gaming, and this deal would strengthen that advantage, giving it the ability to undermine new and innovative competitors. Martin Coleman, chair of the independent panel of experts conducting this investigation, said. The CMA took a view that the merger could result in higher prices, fewer choices, and less innovation for UK gamers. However, earlier this month, it narrowed its original scope to focus on cloud gaming rather than consoles after weighing the new evidence. I'm going to skip ahead because some of this is, you know, stuff we've probably heard before. Um, the CMA said the deal would solidify Microsoft's advantage in the market by giving it control over Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft titles. The watchdog found that without the merger, Activision would be able to start providing games on cloud platforms in the future. The Call of Duty's latest installment, Modern Warfare 2, released in October and topped $1 billion in sales within 10 days. It became the best-selling game of 2022, according to the industry researcher NPD Group. Here's another quote. This one's from Bobby Kotek. We've already begun the work to appeal to the UK Competition Appeals Tribunal. We're confident our case, in our case because the facts are on our side. This deal is good for competition, Bobby Kotek, Activision's chief executive officer, in a note to employees. Britain's competition watchdog said any potential remedy would need some degree of regulatory oversight and it is typically against behavioral remedies. The regulator has attempted to assert itself as a powerful global regulator since the country left the EU. In recent shows of strength, it's taken on big tech, including ordering Meta Platforms Inc., which, you know, Facebook, um, to reverse its acquisition of Giphy after worries it could take a stranglehold on the GIF market or GIF, whichever one you like. The European Commission is still due to issue the final word on its own probe into the deal on May 22nd, while the FTC has scheduled a hearing into the deal in August. So there's that. Now here's from the gov.uk site. It is a press release titled Microsoft slash Activision deal prevented to protect innovation and choice in cloud gaming. Here's a blurb. The CMA has prevented Microsoft's proposed purchase of Activision over concerns the deal would alter the future of the fast-growing cloud gaming market, leading to reduced innovation and less choice for UK gamers over the years to come. So here's... Um, some little things in here. And this is their final decision, apparently. So the final decision to prevent the deal comes after Microsoft's proposed solution failed to effectively address the concerns in the cloud gaming sector, outlined in the Competition and Markets Authority's CMA provisional findings published in February. Uh, cloud gaming concerns. Let's start there. The UK cloud gaming market is growing fast. Monthly active users in the UK more than tripled from the start of 2021 to the end of 2022. It is forecast to be worth up to £11 billion globally and, 11, and £1 billion in the UK by 2026. By way of comparison, sales of recorded music in the UK in 2021 amounted to £1.1 billion. Microsoft has a strong position in cloud gaming services and the evidence available to the CMA showed that Microsoft would find it commercially beneficial to make Activision's games exclusive to its own cloud gaming service. Microsoft already accounts for an estimated 60-70% to 70 of global cloud gaming services and has other important strengths in cloud gaming from owning Xbox, the leading PC operating system, parentheses Windows, and a global cloud 
computing infrastructure, parentheses, Azure and Xbox Cloud Gaming. The deal would reinforce Microsoft's advantage in the market by giving it control over important gaming content such as Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft. The evidence available to the CMA indicates that absent the merger, Activision would start providing games via cloud platforms in the foreseeable future. The cloud allows UK gamers to avoid buying expensive gaming consoles and PCs and gives them much more flexibility and choice about how they play, allowing Microsoft to take such a strong position in the cloud gaming market just as it begins to grow rapidly would, si would risk undermining the innovation that is crucial to the development of these opportunities. Basically, they just don't want Microsoft to have this because Microsoft has stuff in the cloud, I guess? It just seems really weird to me. Um, for example, I mean, I'm in the United States and uh, I have an Xbox S and I didn't need to like go into a cloud for that. It's just, I mean, maybe it is kind of, but it's not like, like I had to buy the game, right? You know, so um, it's, I guess in the UK, they're concerned or this, uh, the CMA is concerned that UK gamers would have to buy expensive gaming consoles in order to play whatever games come from Activision Blizzard after this merger goes through, assuming it does. It's a little weird. It's a little bit weird to me, but whatever. There's a remedy here, and um, I'll read you part of the remedy, which I'm certain Microsoft and Activision Blizzard do not like. The remedy. Microsoft submitted a proposal to address some of these concerns, which the CMA examined in considerable depth. The proposed remedy set out requirements governing what games must be offered by Microsoft to what platforms and on what conditions over a 10-year period. Such remedies are described as behavioral, that's in quotes, because they seek to regulate the behavior of the business involved in a merger, requiring them to behave in a way which may be contrary to their commercial incentives. This therefore takes the form of a type of ongoing regulation of the sector, replacing market forces in a growing and dynamic market with mandated regulatory obligations ultimately overseen and enforced by the CMA, in this case at a global level. Microsoft's proposal contained a number of significant shortcomings connected with the growing and fast-moving nature of cloud gaming services. It did not sufficiently cover different cloud gaming service business models, including multi-game subscription services. It was not sufficiently open to providers who might wish to offer versions of games on PC operating systems other than Windows. It would standardize the terms and conditions on which games are available, as opposed to them being determined by the dynamism and creativity of competition in the market, as would be expected in the absence of the merger. So that's some, um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. There's a bunch of quotes here from someone on the panel. And that's really about it. That's like the main points for that one. So there we are. We've also got an article here on CNBC. And it's titled, First on CNBC, CNBC Transcript, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek Speaks with CNBC's Squawk Box Today. And that's just the title. It goes on from there. Uh, I think Squawk Box is some kind of a sort of a talk show news kind of thing, I, I think. Anyway, so yeah, all references must be sourced to CNBC. They have that in bold print, so I'm telling you right now, everything I'm about to read you in here, which won't be the entire article, it's super long. Um, yes, our source to CNBC, okay? So there we go, we should be safe now with that. So let's see, there's an interviewer named Becky Quick who talked to Bobby Kotek, and this is what... Uh, skipping ahead a bit, this is what she said. 
We're going to talk about the numbers in just a moment because the earnings were quite a bit better than the street was expecting, meaning Wall Street. But the big news yesterday is what happened with the UK CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority. That, that is what a lot of people assumed was kind of an entity that could not be overruled, could not be appealed to. There is an appeal process, but it's kind of convoluted. You're appealing to the same people who just said no to the deal. How does this work? Lay this out. Walk us through this, because yesterday Francis D'Souza was here. He's the CEO of Illumina. And he said, even though he's fighting regulators both here and over in Europe, he said he wouldn't take on the CMA or on another deal they saw because they didn't think it was beatable or that you could appeal it. So here's Bobby Kotek's response. First, thank you for having me. I always love being here, just for the benefit of my employees who have worked so hard, you know. We had net bookings up 25%, our GAAP earnings up 70%, so we had a great quarter. Business is great, and the, and the ruling was disappointing. I think when you look at the facts and you look at what opportunities are for the UK, this was a transaction that was only going to enhance opportunities for competition for our players, for employees, and it was just a flawed ruling in every respect. What and what it demonstrated to us is that these regulators, they don't really understand our business. And so they're making determinations and judgments that are not factually correct. And I think when you go to the tribunal, that's what you have to focus on is whether or not it was irrational. It was irrational, whether it was fact-based, it was not. And I think it was, while Francis might not think that was the place to appeal, it was such a, and gets cut off by the uh, woman starting this, said, I should say for him, not for you, what he was referring to. Oh, right. And I will tell you, says Kotek, and someone else jumps in and says, it's the only, Andrew Ross Sorkin, the only place to appeal realistically. Kotek says, actually it is. So it was flawed in every way that it is actually going to create a lessening of competition, which is the opposite of what their mission is. And so we think the Compen dash, the appeals tribunal, will see that and rule in our favor. And then um, Quick asks, how does this work? And have there been people who have been successful with this in the past? Codex says, yeah, last year there was a firm, I think it was called FNZ, that, that appealed and they won. The CMA then had to go back and, ex and accept their remedies. And so, you know, there's a process, I think. We didn't expect to have to use it, but I think that will be successful in that result. Quick says, Microsoft has kind of alluded to this too, that they are looking for ways to kind of massage the regulatory to have some other offerings to come up with, uh, to come up with it. I think... And I think the CMA had kind of hinted at the idea that maybe if Call of Duty was spun off, that there might be something that made them feel better about things. Is that a realistic expectation? Is that something that there is a possibility for? Kotek says, you know, I think what we found through this process is that these regulators are now taking dogmatic positions, that they don't serve the interest of the missions of what they're actually established to do. So you can't say, oh, we only are going to accept structural remedies, but not behavioral remedies. It makes no sense that... And that isn't actually consistent with their historic missions. And so in this case, you know, divesting something like Call of Duty, it's it's not practical. And they actually didn't really suggest that. And then we're going on a bit ahead here. And uh, there's a question from, uh, so it just says last names now, just Sorkin, um, talking about Microsoft and uh, a little bit talking about the timing of this. And there's a, a report he's referencing, which probably doesn't really matter right now. But um, the timing takes you past the drop dead for your transaction with Microsoft, in which case I imagine there would have to be some kind of tolling agreement or something that Microsoft or that you would have to agree to with Microsoft. Does Microsoft pay for that privilege? How does that work? What's going on behind the scenes around how this would happen? Kotex says, well, I can't speak to what the 
company that was named by Sorkin a little bit, uh, had to say about the transaction or why they came to that conclusion. I think we and Microsoft and our barristers, who are exceptionally experienced at judicial review, think that there's a way to accelerate the process and that the conclusions were so flawed that we should be able to get an accelerated result and, and then he gets cut off. And, you know, questions are asked again. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot in here if you want to check it all out. There's one more thing that I'm going to say that Kotek uh, responded to from a question from Sorkin. Uh, you just mentioned the FTC. Oh, yeah. Kotek mentioned the FTC. Um, you just mentioned the FTC. There are some people who believe that the U.S. government and regulators in the U.S. have effectively outsourced the regulatory regime to Europe in this case. So they don't actually so they actually don't have to make some of these decisions. What do you think of that? And just the policy broadly around how a global multinational company operates in this environment, but also being a U.S.-based company. Kotek said, well, I was surprised to learn that Lena Khan and the head of CMA had a meeting a week and a half ago in Washington. You know, legally, you're not supposed to be discussing active litigation. I don't know they did, but you know, and just goes on from there, right? You know, um, I think that what you're seeing now is that the CMA is being used as a tool by the FTC to be able to create these kinds of outcomes. And this isn't the way they're supposed to be operating. And I kind of feel he's like spinning into conspiracy as we go in this, you know, it's just really, really odd, but that's kind of how he is. And you can read the rest of it. All, everything again is gonna be on the Shattered Soulstone website for you to read or not as you choose. The BBC News has an article titled UK Games Sector Wanted Microsoft Deal, says Sir Ian Livingstone. And there's a bright, colorful picture of Candy Crush on somebody's phone here. And I'll read you a little bit of this. It's by Nick Edzer. Uh, the, the UK game sector was in favor of Microsoft's bid for U.S. firm Activision being approved, according to the man who left the company behind Tomb Raider. Sir Ian Livingstone, also co-founder of Games Workshop, said it would be odd if the UK was the only place to object. The blocking of the deal by the UK regulator provoked a furious response from Microsoft with its president saying the mood was bad for Britain. The UK's move means the multi-billion dollar deal cannot go ahead globally. The planned $68.7 billion deal would have been the gaming industry's biggest ever takeover and Microsoft would have taken ownership of popular game titles such as Call of Duty, Candy Crush, and World of Warcraft. US and EU regulators have yet to decide on whether to approve the deal. But on Wednesday, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, blocked it, saying it was concerned the deal would offer reduced innovation and less choice for gamers in the fast-growing cloud gaming business. Both Microsoft and Activision have said they will appeal against the CMA's decision. Here's a little bit of, um, a little bit more here. On Thursday, Microsoft President Brad Smith launched a fierce attack on the judgment, telling the BBC that it marked Microsoft's darkest day in its four decades of working in the UK. Quote, people are shocked, people are disappointed, and people's confidence in technology in the UK has been severely shaken, he said, adding that the European Union was a better place to start a business. A spokesman for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said Mr. Smith's claims were not borne out by the facts, adding that the UK game sector had doubled in size over the past 10 years. Sir Ian, who is now co-founding partner of gaming investment group Hero Capita, H-I-R-O and then Capita, told the BBC's Today program, I think the sentiment of the games industry itself in the UK is for it to go ahead. It would be odd if the UK was the only region to object to this acquisition going forward, he said. Goes on from there a little bit, but you get the idea. Uh, IGN has an article titled, Microsoft 
Activision Blizzard, and the CMA. So what's next? Where does Microsoft go from here? How long will it take and how expensive will it get? This is written by Rebecca Valentine. So I'll give you a little bit of this. It's pretty in-depth. It's some stuff I've probably gone over in previous shows, but I'll just give you some of this here. Yeah, okay. In a surprise decision yesterday, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority made the decision to block Microsoft's planned $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard, yada yada. While the deal has seen challenges in numerous other regions, including the US and the EU, many expected the CMA to approve it, especially after its March statement that Call of Duty console exclusivity was no longer a concern. Thus, with further legal challenges looming globally and Microsoft set to appeal the CMA CMA's decision, many are now wondering what's next for Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, both in the UK and abroad. The answer is, of course, complicated depending on multiple regulatory bodies, time-consuming and above all expensive. We spoke to lawyers and analysts to help unpack the rocky road Microsoft has ahead of it. If it wants to pursue Activision Blizzard, what possible outcomes remain and why we're likely going to be hearing about this deal for months and potentially years to come. So we know what happened. I've been over that. So I'm going to skip that one. Okay. What comes next? As Alex Hafner, competition partner at London law firm Fladgate, explained to me, Microsoft effectively has four weeks to submit an appeal document with the UK's Competition Appeal Tribunal, parentheses, CAT, C-A-T, all capitalized, which will then go into, into onto judge whether or not the CMA, quote, has acted within the boundaries of its proper discretion in reaching its final decision, end quote. Quote, generally, this is a high bar for appellants to overcome, and successful appeals of decisions by the CMA to block mergers have been rare, albeit not unprecedented, Hafner explained. Overall, one could expect the appeal process to last three to four months in total. If the CAT does uphold any appeal, the most likely outcome would be a remittal of the case back to the CMA to remake its decision based on any criticisms upheld by the CAT. There are certainly criticisms to be made of the CMA's final ruling. Gamma Law's David B. Hop pointed out that the CMA's definition of cloud gaming as its own market segment is a difficult argument to make, adding that the CMA, quote, sort of cherry-picked some things to support the position that Microsoft is already a dominant player in cloud gaming. As Hafter mentioned, it's not common for CMA decisions to be overturned, and it goes into a whole history on that. What about the FTC? So that's the Federal Trade Commission. That's the U.S. one. Unlikely, as it's looking for Microsoft, let's say it manages to win over both the CAT and the CMA. Even then, it still faces challenges in the EU and the U.S., which we should expect to hear more about in May and August, respectively. Hafter noted that the CMA's decision was uh, has set an important precedent for both the EU Commission and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission as their deliberations continue. Sam Castry of Sam Castry Law explained that while the U.K. ruling doesn't pr practically impact the U.S.'s own separate decision, it might nudge the U.S. in a slightly different direction. Up to this stage, the FTC's arguments have focused on two areas, concerns about Microsoft withholding games from other platforms and concerns that Microsoft will create a monopoly in a narrow definition of a, quote, relevant market, end quote such as high-performing consoles or, yes, cloud gaming. After seeing the CMA drop its concerns about Call of Duty exclusively, uh, exclusivity and focus on cloud gaming, the FTC might be motivated to change its tactics to line up with the CMA. There's an article from Mac Rumors um, talking about the thing that just happened with the CMA. 
and uh, points to the press release. I've already read part of to you. There's a little bit towards the bottom here. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard was approved by regulators in several other countries, including Brazil, Chile, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Serbia, and South Africa. But the company still needs the approval of the UK CMA and the European Union to complete the deal. The EU commission has until late May to announce its decision. Microsoft has already said that the company will appeal the CMA's decision. If it fails, Microsoft Microsoft will owe Activision $3 billion in breakup fees. Separately, in the United States, Microsoft is facing additional regulatory blowback from the Federal Trade Commission, which sued to block Microsoft's Activision Blizzard purchase last year. The investigation is still ongoing. Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass is available on the phone and iPad through Safari, but not the App Store, while Apple does not allow, and this is from, you know, the Apple Mac rumors thing, so that's kind of, that's the thing that bugs me a lot about video games is whatever it is that sounds fun to play that maybe I've watched somebody play on Twitch or something like that. It's like, oh, well, you can't do it. You're on a Mac. So whatever, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Games Industry Biz has an article titled Microsoft Vows to Appeal as the UK Regulator Blocks Its Acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Update, CMA says allowing Microsoft to take a strong position in cloud gaming would undermine innovation. This is written by Marie uh, Del Serande, Deputy Editor. Contributions by James Batchelor. I'm not sure that there's anything new in here, but there is an update with uh, one update is quotes from Bobby Kotek. So this update says, update Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek has also shared a statement saying the CMA's decision is far from the final word and stating that the deal is good for competition. Quote, alongside Microsoft, we can and will contest this decision, and we've already begun to work to appeal to the UK Competition's Appeals Tribunal, he added. We're confident in our case because the facts are on our side. This deal is good for competition. The UK hopes to grow its leadership position in technology, and a combined Microsoft-Activision would accomplish exactly that. At a time when the fields of machine learning are artificial and artificial intelligence are thriving, we know the UK market would benefit from Microsoft's bench strength in both domains domains, as well as our ability to put those technologies to use immediately. By contrast, if the CMA's decision holds, it would stifle investment, competition, and job creation throughout the UK gaming industry. He further added, quote, I'm going to do everything I personally can to advocate for us and help regulators understand the competitive dynamics in our industry. There is a second update. In its statement, the CMA said its decision to block the deal. Oh, you know what? This is probably coming from the thing I already read you, so we probably don't need that right now, but still, you know. Ars Technica, UK government blocks Microsoft's proposed Activision purchase. And it says no deal at the top. This was written by uh, Kyle Orland. Microsoft has in recent months signed deals with NVIDIA and smaller cloud gaming providers in an attempt to, quote, make even more clear to regulators that our acquisition of Activision Blizzard will make Call of Duty available on far more devices than before, as Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith said in a statement last month. But the CMA said these kinds of cloud gaming deals, which Microsoft submitted to the CMA as a proposed remedy for any anti-competitive effects of the merger were limited to cloud gaming providers with specific business models and thus not sufficient to address the regulators' concerns. Specifically, the CMA said Microsoft's proposed remedy doesn't sufficiently cover multi-game subscription services or providers working with games on PC operating systems other than Windows. goes on from there. And it's not over yet. That's, part, that's literally part of the title towards the end of this article. Quote, 
The CMA's report contradicts the ambitions of the UK to become an attractive country to build technology businesses. Activision Blizzard's Joe Christinot said in a statement provided to Ars Technica, so they got an actual person's name on this, quote, we will work aggressively with Microsoft to reverse on this appeal. The report's conclusions are a disservice to UK citizens who face increasingly dire economic prospects. We will reassess our growth plans for the UK. Global innovators, large and small, will take note that despite all its rhetoric, the UK is clearly closed for business. And we've got another one from Engadget. Microsoft inks another cloud gaming deal after the UK blocked its Activision takeover. Because that's going to make them happy, right? The CMA is going to be like, great, more gaming. No, it's not going to work that way, I think. The agreement is with Nware, which is similar to those it struck with the likes of NVIDIA. So here we are, written by Chris Holtz um, today. Despite suffering a significant blow this week in its attempt to take over Activision Blizzard, Microsoft still believes it can get the job done. The company has signed a 10-year agreement with Spain-based cloud gaming provider Nware to make PC games it builds in-house available to stream on that platform along with Activision Blizzard titles if and when the $68.7 billion deal goes through. Quote, while it's still early for the emerging cloud segment in gaming, this new partnership combined with our other recent commitments will make more popular games available on more cloud game streaming services than they are today. Microsoft President and Vice Chair Brad Smith wrote on Twitter, We are full speed ahead in our mission to bring players more ways to play their favorite games, Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer added. And there's definitely... Um, and there's, there's the tweet in this thing if you want to see that. In a similar fashion to NVIDIA's GeForce Now, Nware offers users access to a number of their game libraries via the cloud, including those from Steam, Epic Games, and Ubisoft. Users can use the service to stream their games on Windows PCs, Android smartphones, tablets, and smart TVs. The latest agreement follows similar deals Microsoft has struck with Nintendo, Steam, NVIDIA, Boosteroid, I love that name, uh, Ubitus, and EE to make its games available to, on those companies' platforms. Microsoft says it has offered Sony, the biggest opponent of the proposed Activision mer merger, a 10-year agreement to keep the likes of Call of Duty on PlayStation. However, Sony hasn't taken up the offer. Another one from Ars Technica. It's titled, UK government says the Nintendo Switch can't handle Call of Duty. Any port wouldn't match PlayStation slash Xbox in terms of quality of gameplay and content. So that's a little different. This is written by Kyle Orland. And um, let's see, I'll just jump into the important part of this. Since their, their surprise December announcement of a 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo consoles, Microsoft and Activision have expressed confidence that the Switch hardware can handle their popular shooter series, but that confidence didn't convince the UK government, which says that it has, quote, seen no evidence to suggest that Nintendo consoles would be technically capable of running a version of COD that is similar to those in Xbox and PlayStation in terms of quality and gameplay content. Um, and this is just part of the, the, the thing that the Competition Markets Authority said. Skipping ahead, um, overall, the evidence shows that the product characteristics of Nintendo Switch are significantly different from those of Xbox and PlayStation, including its technical specifications, capability to host graphically intensive games, and prices. The CMA writes, Xbox and PlayStation are more similar in this respect. The CMA cites a number of unnamed third-party publishers to establish the differences between the Switch and 
other consoles in terms of both technical capabilities and the audience, but the CMA also cites a, quote, Microsoft internal document that points to the differences in the technical strategies of Xbox slash PlayStation and Nintendo consoles. While the CMA report acknowledges that the Switch is capable of running some major games like Doom Eternal, overall, the regulators say the Switch does not currently offer the same suite of graphically intensive games that PlayStation and Xbox compete on and may not be capable of offering certain graphically intensive multiplayer games such as Call of Duty. Meanwhile, on the 25th of this month, Video Games Chronicle posted an article by Tom Ivan titled Microsoft has reported its second best quarter three for Xbox revenue. <laughs> so I don't know how that's going to shake out considering everything else I've been talking to you about today. And um, yeah, it was before the CMA thing. And yeah, it's just kind of, I mean, I'm glad they're doing good. I have an Xbox. I'd like to keep playing on it, you know. But anyway, and then Ars Technica wrote, despite UK ruling Microsoft slash Activision merger might not be dead just yet. Appeals could take months, but a carve-out could preserve the deal outside the UK. And they have a picture here from Monty Python with the dead parrot sketch. Look that up if you don't know what it is. It's actually kind of funny in a weird, twisted way, which Monty Python always was. I read you part of the Bloomberg thing, I think. Yeah, I think I did. So they're going from that a little bit. They've got some quotes from Bobby Kotek in here that I think I already told you. And here's the part I'm kind of more interested in. What about the rest of the world? Even if a cat appeal eventually fails, says Ars Technica, and the writer on this is Kyle Orland. If it eventually fails, the CMA itself only has jurisdiction over the United Kingdom market. Even if a merger is blocked in the UK, could a merged Microsoft Activision entity still operate in other countries? The CMA doesn't think, seem to think so. Quote, Activision is intertwined through different markets. It can't be separated for the UK, the regulator told the BBC. So this decision blocks the deal from happening globally. But industry analysts see a path or a, for a carve-out that satisf satisfies the CMA's concerns in the UK while allowing the merger to go forward elsewhere. Such a carve-out could be made easier because the CMA's decision is focused solely on cloud gaming competition rather than the overall effects of the rest of the console market. Quote, if the decision stands and the deal receives approval in other jurisdictions, Microsoft could geofence the Activision games on its cloud service out of the UK. Gamma Law managing partner David Hopp told Why Now Gaming, that's, that's the title of it, Why Now Gaming, quote, that would, be that would presumably address the CMA's concerns. Uh, here's a name. Wedbush Morgan analyst, that's the name of the company, uh, Michael Pratcher, agreed telling GameSpot that Microsoft could carve out Game Pass in the UK and keep all Activision Blizzard content off the service and commit that they will keep the price of the Game Pass at the current price, plus no more than the rate of inflation for the next 10 years. If they commit to that, they can appeal the UK's inevitable approval with those carve-outs and they will win. Of course, this kind of carve-out depends on the merger deal being approved in other major markets. EU regulators are set to issue their own decision on the merger by May 22nd and are widely expected to approve the deal. In the U.S., meanwhile, a Federal Trade Commission lawsuit attempting to block the deal is set for an evidentiary hearing on August 2nd. So it's kind of up in the air. And then I've got an article from Kotaku. UK blocks Microsoft Activision deal over Game Pass. Game Pass. Okay. Well, what do we got here? This is written by Ethan Gash. The UK Competition Market Authority, CMA, yada yada, announced on Wednesday you know, concerns. Um, 
that it would hurt competition in the growing cloud gaming market where Microsoft dominates thanks to Game Pass. It's a shocking turn of events for what seemed like a mega merger that was otherwise cruising toward regulatory approval. There's a quote here from this. Um, I think I've read that to you already. One seemingly likely result of Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard would be that the latter's hit games like Overwatch 2, Diablo 4, that's the first one to mention Diablo 4 in one of these uh, that I've seen, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 would all get added to Game Pass. The CMA argues this would give Microsoft already the market leader in cloud gaming even more anti-competitive control. It also suggests that the company would then have an incentive to raise prices on cloud gaming subscription services like Game Pass, while potentially withholding certain releases from rival platforms like Sony PlayStation Plus, which, by the way, holds some things from other platforms, but that's another story. And okay, here's a little bit from Bobby Kotek. I know we don't really like this guy too much, but once he starts talking, he just can't stop, it seems. So here we go. Activision's response to the news was much more harsh than um, Brad Smith, president of Microsoft's uh, response. Quote, the CMA's report contradicts the ambitions of the UK to become an attractive country to build technology in. I think I read you part of that already. The language echoed Activision CEO Bobby Kotek's previous claims that the UK would become, quote, Death Valley, end quote, if it torpedoed the deal, which promises huge financial windfalls for him and other executives at the company. The merger is still being investigated by authorities in the European Union, who are expected to announce a decision in May, and the Federal Trade Commission is currently threatening the acquisition with an antitrust lawsuit. It is unclear how the CMA's initial surprise ruling could affect approval in the US and EU as a result, since failure in any one of the regions could likely doom it. So here's what we have, right? We have, well, it's just the UK. So if this goes through in all the other places it's trying to do and the places that have already said, yeah, cool, do it, maybe Xbox wouldn't be able to, you know, do stuff in the UK. That's kind of the thought. But I don't see why one country in the world should be able to prevent the other parts of the world that would like this merger to go through. I don't, I don't see why one country should have control over what all the other ones say. I think, you know, if it was reasonable, and we're talking about regulators here with different rules and different countries and things like that, but if it was reasonable, then it would be, okay, here are the uh, countries that said, yes, we like this, let's do it. So go ahead and do it there. But you're going to have to find a way to sort of wall off the countries that uh, regulators decided their people could not have the same thing that you're giving to all the other people that have countries that said, yes, do it. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I mean, I'm assuming, like, I'm not a tech person. I'm assuming there's something they could do that would sort of like put a wall around, you know, stuff where you can't get to it legally at that point. Um, I don't know. I think it's a mess. I really think it should be countries that want it should get it. Their regulatory system went, yeah, this is it. We want this. Let's do it. And Microsoft can go, okay, here we are. You know, buy Activision Blizzard King and move on. But I, I don't see why one little country should be able to shut this down for all of the countries that want this. You know, it just seems like an over a huge amount of power from a country that, well, is the UK. In this case, I'll just stop there. There's an article from The Hill, and this is about the FTC. It is not about the merger. Um, it is not about Microsoft. It's not about Activision Blizzard King. It's titled, Republican FTC Commissioner Will Resign, slams Democratic Chair. Now, I know this was 
probably first reported on the Wall Street Journal, which The Hill notes in this article. So here we go. The sole remaining Republican on the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, said Tuesday she is resigning based on disagreements with how Democratic Chairwoman Lena Kahn is leading the agency. Commissioner Christine Wilson announced her plans in an op-ed published in the Wall Street Journal. Let me stop there for a second. Big big newspapers will allow op-eds. They will allow opinion pieces to some degree. They will put them in a section with the rest of the opinion pieces, make it very clear it's an opinion piece and not necessarily uh, sanctioned or agreed to by whoever's working at the Wall Street Journal in this case. So that's kind of what that is. Um, So I'm going to go back to this paragraph and start that over again with that context. Commissioner Christine Wilson announced her plans in an op-ed published in the Wall Street Journal, laying out her reasons that focus on concerns she had raised over the progressive chairwoman's leadership in what Wilson called her, quote, noisy exit. Quote, I have failed repeatedly to persuade Ms. Khan and her enablers to do the right thing, and I refuse to give their endeavor any further hint of legitimacy by remaining. Accordingly, I will resign as an FTC commissioner, Wilson wrote. Wilson accused Khan of having a, quote, disregard for the rule of law and due process, said a senior FTC and said senior FTC officials enable her. In a joint statement, Khan and the Democratic commissioners, Rebecca Kelly, Slaughter and Alvaro Bedoya, said that while we often disagreed with Commissioner Wilson, we respect her devotion to her beliefs and are grateful for her public service. We wish her well on her next endeavor, they said. Khan, who previously served as counsel for the House Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee during the investigation into digital market competition, has put forward an aggressive agenda to use the agency's power to rein in the power of the nation's dominant tech companies. Those attempts have not always been successful, including a recent lawsuit to block Meta, Facebook's parent company, from acquiring VR company Within. That deal was allowed to proceed after a court ruling against the FTC. Wilson had voted against the FTC's lawsuit to block the acquisition. Wilson's announcement of her resignation follows GOP Commissioner Noah Phillips' resignation last year. The openings leave President Biden with the opportunity to nominate two new commissioners, although the rules limit the agency to no more than three commissioners of the same political party, ruling out his nomination of a Democrat. So this could be a problem since the FTC is one of the uh, regulatory groups that is talking about and thinking about and making decisions on the Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard, King thing, because if you only have three Democrats on it and no Republicans choose to join, then I, I can't imagine that they'd have enough people to get that through, to, to do anything with, you know what I mean? Like if it has to be bipartisan, as it, you know, it has been in previous years, the number of Democrats and the number of Republicans tends to flip depending on which party the current president at whatever time that was you know, what party that person is, but this could be a big stopping point right there. If President Biden and whomever helps him make these types of decisions, because the president doesn't just do everything on his own, of course, no president should. They're going to have some trouble, I think, finding Republicans that might want to take part in the FTC. And if so, then either whatever the FTC has already ruled on the Microsoft Activision Blizzard King deal is either dead in the water or it doesn't go forward. And this is kind of um, kind of a really crummy time to have the last Republican on there decide to quit. You know, I mean, 
Like, how is this going to work in the United States? Are we going to get sidelined by Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King that are both American companies? You know, like the UK might be, depending on how things go. It's just such a freaking mess, you know? But let's get into some Diablo 4 stuff now to uh, cleanse the palate, <laughs> I guess. Um, on April 20, Blizzard posted, Help us gear up for launch during the Diablo 4 server slam. I read some of that to you last time, but as a reminder, from May 12th, 12 p.m. to May 14th, 12 p.m. PDT, everyone can come to Sanctuary's Defense on Windows PC, Xbox Series X or S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, and PlayStation 4, along with couch co-op for consoles and cross-play and cross-progression for all platforms against the armies of the Burning Hells to help test the durability of our servers. So there's that. Um, it's what to expect. So if you haven't, you know, if you haven't found this yet, it'll be in my show notes. Uh, there are awards you can get. Some of them were things you could earn in the previous, uh, the closed beta and the open beta. This one is going to give you something you can put on your mount, which would be whatever horse you get. There's, I guess, a quest for that. I haven't gone into that too far. Here is um, descriptions in here. If you don't have the Diablo 4 open beta downloaded, and hopefully you didn't delete it, because on PC, you'd have to go through the Battle.net client, and there's descriptions in here of how you do that. With Xbox, you just launch the Xbox store and search for Diablo 4 Server Slam and select download. Um, you know, if you don't have the open beta thing, and I still have it. I didn't delete anything from that, thinking maybe, you know, it would turn into the whatever the next thing was. I didn't think there'd be a, another beta type thing, but here we are. Uh, there's descriptions for PlayStation and that kind of thing, too. So if you really don't know what's happening, refer to this, and that might put you in the right direction. Blizzard also posted Diablo 4 system requirements for PC. Um, <laughs> so here's um, the minimum requirements, the medium recommended requirements, and high requirements. There's also Ultra 4K requirements. And it looks like they all say it has to be on OS, a 64-bit Windows 10 version of 1909 or newer. And then there's stuff about the processing and things like that. So that's something you may want to check into to make sure you can play this game when it hits your PC or should be hitting your PC. GameSpot's got an article, Diablo 4 Server Slam Beta, Start Date, Rewards, Class Changes, and Everything We Know, written by Gabe Gerwin. What's included in the Server Slam, it is... Um, the server slam will feature the same basic slice of content seen in the previous beta tests. The game's prologue on Act 1, one major area called Fractured Peaks, is available to explore with all quests and side activities taking place there. All five classes will be playable during the server slam. That's the Druid, Barbarian, Rogue, Necromancer, and Sorcerer. Alongside hours, alongside the first several hours of main quests, you'll be able to take on side quests, explore hidden areas, and battle a powerful world boss called Ashava. Defeating this boss will be a serious challenge, as unlike in the previous betas, your level is capped at 20. Only those who have reached level 20 will be eligible for the special Cry of Ashava mount trophy, detailed below. Tells you when the world boss is going to be hit, uh, is going to start. Your character's progress in the beta will not transfer, meaning everyone who plays the server slam will be starting from the very beginning. However, tweaks have been made to balance classes that are reflective of how these classes will play at launch. These changes include a 10% across the board incoming damage reduction for barbarians who were difficult to use as a solar pl solo player in the early parts of the story. Yes, yes they were. <laughs> you know. It was it was easy at first and then everything just seemed overpowered compared to the barbarian I had and and I had some good gear because in the open beta 
they specifically made more like legendary gear drop for you that you could mess around with. So, I mean, and even that was tough, even if I grouped up a little bit, you know? So yeah, I'm glad they fixed the barbarian because that, I need that. I need it to be fixed. Companion skills for druids have also been heavily buffed and a variety of other buffs and nerfs have affected all five classes. If you liked a class during the beta, it would be wise to try them again during the server slam and see if that's still the case. And then there's the rewards. Um, Diablo 4 launches on June 6th, and we know that already. There's also um, PSU. I don't know what this, this site is, but that's what it's called. PlayStation something? University maybe? I don't know. There's an article titled, Diablo 4 players will take on average about 150 plus hours to hit level 100, written by Michael Herodence on April 25th. There is a picture here of some of the classes. Someone asked how long it takes uh, on Twitter. They asked Joseph Priapora, um, who is an associate game director for Diablo 4, you know, how long it would take to get to level 100. And he said, reaching level 100 will take 150 plus hours for the average player experience. So that's something to think about. You're not going to rush to 100 on this one. It's going to take a little bit longer than that. I think even if you're in a group, uh, just, it just seems like it. They seem to be very, very aware that it's going to take that long a time to get all the way up to the highest level possible in that. Blizzard has been very open about Diablo 4 as the studio gears up for the game's release on June 6, 2023. The World of Warcraft developer, which is a weird way to put it since we're talking about the Diablo part of it, but okay, uh, recently confirmed a new beta test for the game, which will test the game's stress on the servers next month. Beyond that, Blizzard announced it will be releasing fresh story content for Diablo 4 every three months and that the game's campaign can be skipped entirely with any character once you have finished it once. Elsewhere, the studio revealed that the seasonal battle pass for the dungeon crawler will take players around 80 hours to complete. Blizzard also confirmed just last week that Diablo 4 has officially gone gold. So there we are. That sounds good. And then we have from TRG, uh, well, it says TRG, it's, it's techradar.com, uh, an article written by Ellie Gould that says, Diablo 4 is going hardcore with one feature that's going to make you cry. And it has the saddest of, looks like sorcerer and sorceress just facing away from each other, looking very sad. For some reason, it's a good choice for this article. It uh, came from Blizzard Entertainment, obviously. Uh, global community developer director Adam Fletcher confirmed that Diablo 4 is following in the footsteps of Diablo 2 by including permadeath. Replying to a fan who asked what dying in Diablo 4's PvP hardcore mode would mean for players, Fletcher simply responded to the tweet with one word, permadeath. This has sent some newer fans into a bit of panic as many start to plan on how to avoid the fields of, fields of hatred and PvP, PvP altogether in fear of overly aggressive players. Anyone can enter the fields of hatred in Diablo 4's open world, and once in, players will be at the mercy of monsters and their fellow fans. Killing other RPG players is actually encouraged, as you can collect shards of hatred and gain the fearless combatant achievement by killing 10 players in PvP hardcore mode. Uh, living life on the edge. For many, the allure of hardcore modes is just too good to pass up. There's definitely some clout in raging around the fields of hatred and ruining someone's day by unaliving, unaliving their previously built, preciously built character or sneaking about to find the coveted vendors living in PvP zones. Still, it's also so much more than that. Whether it be Minecraft or The Last of Us Part Two, this person really loves looking for ways to get into that kind of stuff. Now, as for me, I don't really like doing PvP, so... I did. 
I played it in I played I played it solo in Diablo three with a necromancer uh, for a thing I was doing with a group of people. That I mean, it was an individual um, solo self found kind of thing, and I think Leviathan was part of like getting that off the ground, which was really cool. So that was fun, and I didn't have a problem with that because I was playing solo on Diablo three. But I don't really want to jump into a PvP battleground. At least not right away, you know. Um, and I, I think at some point, somebody's going to be the first person to hit 100 and then we'll just go and smash everybody that comes into the PvP zone. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of a lot. It's not my thing. I don't really have the energy to build up a character, go through the storyline, do all the other stuff, and then, you know get squashed by someone in, in PvP. So I won't be doing that immediately, for sure. We'll see how it goes after that. I'm much more about the story in these kinds of games and you know what you can learn and the lore and how this all connects and that kind of thing. But hey, if your thing is PvP, there is a specific place you can go and fight other people who also like PvP and good luck to all of you. Although I'm sure many will kill other people and then get killed and, you know, this circle of life, I guess, or death, I guess. Anyway, so that's it for today's show. And with that, I'm going to close it out. You have been listening to episode 408 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.